Good morning and welcome to Faith FM. This is the Brecky Show. If you're in the Newcastle area, we are at 87.6, 87.8 or 88. And this morning you are with Minnie. And Sven. Yes. Hello. Welcome. Yeah, it's really good to be back on the show with you. Yeah, I haven't been on the show for ages. How are you going? Yeah, really, really good. It's it's um, it's a cool morning here in Newcastle, mm. but um, really great to be on the show. Yeah, and is there anything you're particularly thankful for this starting new working week? Well, I guess it's it's a it's going to actually be combined in with our uh, good news for today as well. But awesome. I I'm really uh, thankful that um, a couple that I married last Tuesday mm-hmm. uh, finally got married because uh, they've had so it's it's Harry and Christiana uh, Kent. And uh, they they had a long distance relationship. Uh, they met at the University of New South Wales. Oh, and, yes! Uh, and then she went back to Houston. But um, yeah. you know they, they were they were just waiting. They were trying to decide whether they'd get married. And um, uh, late twenty nineteen and early twenty twenty, they they decided to to go ahead, and um, they planned their wedding. And suddenly, the whole world went into to lockdown. Yeah. And uh, so, so they were they were apart for like eighteen months almost. Yeah. Um. So they they so we we moved the wedding from Houston and then we moved it to Threadbow, <laughs> and it was really amazing because because Christiana uh, flew into Sydney and uh, she did her quarantine and she got out on the twenty seventh of May. The, uh, to fly down to Melbourne, and that very day Melbourne went into oh, lockdown. No. So it was, it was amazing. So, so last Tuesday I I got to marry them in uh, Melbourne, the Royal Botanical Gardens. I'm oh, I'm super so thankful good. for that. Yeah, that's awesome. I actually think his brother is up here at the moment, and we were talking about that the other day. Didn't he, he make that connection? Yes, yes, he certainly was. He's got a girlfriend up here as well. He does. <laughs> <laughs> Loves in the air. Oh, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's awesome news. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM. And today in news stories, uh, there's a bit of an interesting backlash that has come from World Health Organization's draft for Global Alcohol Action Plan for 2022 to 2030. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk about that some more. It's interesting things that have come out. So, I think you also have some good news stories for us. Yeah, yeah. So, tell, so, us, tell us more. So, continuing on this theme of of, of love and uh, and definitely a shout out to Harry and Christiana and Edward, they're the, uh, Harry's brother Edward if, if they're listening. Uh, so, we've got some really cool stories today. So, so, in the States, there was this 26-year-old man. Um, his name is uh, Christian Lydon. And uh, he he had this dream of actually finding his own gemstone uh, to create uh, an engagement ring for his fiance, mm-hmm. and uh, they'd been dating for two years. And so he started to talk around, and and he found out that there was a a park in Arkansas uh, where where you could do this. So he travelled two thousand miles, committed uh, to to go on the way. <laughs> took a friend of his. It was completely his. his his girlfriend at the time didn't know anything about this, and uh, they, uh, they, on the way, they went to a sapphire mine to kind of practice how to do it, and then they got there, and then he was um, sifting all of the sand and, and um, you know, all the rocks, and then he saw, saw this shiny stone, and it was a diamond. He, he found a diamond, yeah. It's 2.2 carats, and it's the second largest diamond uh, that they found in that park in Arkansas. 
Uh, so he is like a gold, you know, he struck gold, struck diamonds, I, I should say. <laughs> so he, he is, he is really, really, um, excited about that. He's going to, um, uh, he's making the ring obviously for his, his girlfriend, uh, who will be his, uh, uh fiance, if not already yet. And it's really cool. So it's a, it's a yellow diamond and he's going to get it cut for his, uh, fiance. That was an amazing story. That so, is a planner mm, right there. Yes, that is a man with yes. a plan. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's true love. If I say anything so. <laughs> Are you a bit of a romantics fan? Um, yeah, I think so. I think okay. so. Yes. <laughs> no, that's good. Mm. Do you have any other stories for I us? Do. That was a good one. Please. I do. Let I us do. know. So, so this is kind of a whole range. So here we've got um, this guy in Arkansas yep. um, who's looking for diamonds. We've got another really cool story, and this is like kind of in a similar way, but in a different kind of theme. There was a there was a dancer in Venezuela um, who had an accident and and lost one of her legs, mm. and uh, so of course what that would mean is that um, um, Adrina Hernandez. Uh, you know, you'd be thinking like she will never dance salsa again. Mm. Um, but her, her, uh, boyfriend who was a director of a dance company and her decided they're going to give it a go. And so she went back to the spot, started to dance and it's been a hit on YouTube. Oh. Uh, this, this, um, uh, one legged salsa dancer. And, and what it shows is this is, I mean, uh, um, you know, maybe she, she doesn't dance as well as, as someone with, you know, their full capacity, both legs. But the fact is, this is it shows that people who have been through accidents and, and had challenges in life can still do an amazing thing. Yeah. Um, and still live up to the dream that they've always had. So I think that's really cool as well. Um, and then the third story I've got for, for us this morning is about Emma, uh, I, I um, Eileaf is a farmer. Uh, she's out in central west, um, New South Wales. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she, she always dreamed of being a farmer. So this girl, and, uh, she, she, um, got it, the, the rights to manage a farm. And, um, she, she's, um, working on that with her, with her partner. And, uh, she just won the Young Farmer of the Year Award in 2021. Uh, for for the work that she's doing for on her farm, but also how she's helping other farmers as well, and I think that's a really cool story. So it's quite a kind of eclectic mix of stories, um, but I guess it's it shows the, the the power of of the determination of of yeah. aiming for goals, but also doing it in a style which really makes sense to who you are, who you've been created to be, mm. and uh, with the support of those who who love you. And uh, around you, I think these are, they're really cool stories. Absolutely, and yeah. all of those. I mean, I guess yeah. Even with finding the ring, you're putting in some hard work there. Like you yes. spent the time, yes. And then that you know the lady who uh, lost her leg. That that's a significant thing. That that know? is talent. That is real yeah. talent. So so I would I'd really encourage um you know go and check it out. Go and see mm. you know uh, this one legged salsa dancer on YouTube. I, I think it would be amazing. Yep. You know, to actually see what it, um, how she dances. Yeah. So, mm. And maybe the encouragement there also is, you know, don't let, wait, let me think about how to say this. Maybe it's sometimes easy to not let yourself be all you can be now because of all you thought you could have been, you know? Yes. But when circumstances happen, yes. where you, well, you can't be that thing anymore. Yes. But it doesn't mean you can't be something now. Yes. So, does that make sense? Yeah. Don't let the circumstances of life just yeah. get you down and, yeah. and, and trip you up. Yeah. I mean, and, and for her, I mean, it's, it's more than just a trip. This is like 
Uh, her yeah. whole leg has been lost in an accident. Yeah, wow. Uh, but she's still, she's getting back up. Yeah, she's like, no, she's a fighter. She's a dancer. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, mm, so I was really oh, impressed awesome. by these stories this morning. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, just on the farming story, I am not a farmer. I have some, you know, we have some family friends who are farmers and they work hard. They do, yes. So, that's not just something that's just like, oh, I think I'll pop out and do some work for the day. That's a lifestyle, which it's a bit yes, of a grind. It and is. And so, you know, go this, you know, young farmer of the year. Just mm, a young woman. Yeah. And um, I remember going on a cattle muster in New Zealand. Uh, in okay, the, yeah. Uh, down in the Alps. Um, and uh, the, the the food that the farmers cooked in the evening were ama- yeah. was amazing. The, you know, these, these are blokes, these are guys. And they cooked this incredible spread. Um, you know, the next day we went out on the cattle muster, but you know, by the end of the day we were so knackered. It was it was incredible um, uh, to be out there. And I was just driving around in a car, you know, forward <laughs> drive, I should say. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it's amazing. I really take my hat off to those farmers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, we still have farmers in Australia who are struggling quite a bit just through a whole bunch of things. You know, there's a fire a couple of years ago. Um, yes, some of them are still struggling to get back on their feet. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, let's keep them in our prayers and thoughts. And if you know a farmer, give them a shout out for the work they are doing. Because yeah. I think it can be a little bit out of sight, out of mind for us at times. The mm. work, as you said, it's a big day. It's big work. Um, but, you know, well done them. Okay. So I want to share a story this morning. Um, it's just come out. The World Health Organization has released its draft global alcohol action plan for 2022 to 2030. And... One of the things it has said is appropriate attention should be given to prevention of the initiation of drinking among children and adolescents, prevention of drinking among pregnant women and women of childbearing age, and protection of people from pressures to drink, especially in societies with high levels of alcohol consumption where heavy drinkers are encouraged to drink even more. So basically, this is giving a big caution to really drinking at all. Um, yeah, and really getting people started on the way yeah. to drinking and sort of protecting them from that, yeah. that pressure, <clears throat> the, the, um, you know, the, the, the drive, whatever. Yeah. It's definitely there. Yeah. And they have gone on to say that, um, there's an estimated 2.3 billion people around the world who drink to reduce, uh, who want to, um, reduce their intake of alcohol. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me just get that out. Um, Noting that alcohol has caused three million, which is five point sorry five point three percent of all deaths in twenty sixteen. Um, European countries continue to record the highest per capita consumption of alcohol, although the draft report noted a rise in drinking in Southeast Asian countries. Um, it has called for I found this interesting a no alcohol day all week, mm. saying that public health advocacy is more likely to succeed if it is well supported by evidence and based on emerging opportunities. And if the arguments are free from moralizing, uh, I find this quite an interesting story. Um, I have, you know, personal am- opinions about alcohol, but you know, I remember in 2019 there was a study that came out um, which had followed a group of people. Oh, how many people did it have? Anyway, it had a whole bunch of people that they followed for ten years, and mm, you know, so a longitudinal study. Yeah, yep. and basically saying there is far more evidence than there is. Um, that there is no safe amount of alcohol being consumed. Mm. Uh, but with this thing that has just come out from the World Health Organization just recently, there has been a lot of backlash where people have been like, oh, you know, you can't tell us what to do. You're um, discrimina- discriminating against people. You're saying, uh, yeah, you know. Taking away freedom of choice. Yeah, you know, like mm. women, you're saying that they're only here for childbearing, da-da-da. It's kind of interesting because when I read it, I don't, 
see it like that at all. And mm. I think that there's something really important in saying, hold on, this is what the evidence is showing. You are still free to choose, but choose with this evidence in mm. mind, you know? Mm. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's just an interesting thing to me that we kind of have this way of thinking that's like for you to inform me that um, there is evidence that shows that this could be detrimental what I'm hearing is you taking away my right to choose. Mm. And so, that yeah, it's just kind of interesting all the emotional turmoil that things like this create. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. And, and you know, so much of it is that we we don't necessarily kind of really understand the full impact of alcohol. You know, That's right, yeah. Uh, we, we tend to, you know, see the, um, you know, it is a social lubricant in terms of it takes away the inhibitions and, and just, mm. you know, relaxes. You know, uh, you know, people when when they they're socialising. But you know, what about the 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 violence associated with alcohol? What about the um, the road accidents associated? You know, the the impact on the um, fetuses and and babies. All of these kind of things. And I guess it's 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 just going moving away from just the here and the now. Yeah. How does it make people feel? To saying, well, let's really take take the bigger picture into account. And start thinking of thinking of other people as well. So, I mean, five percent of the deaths. I mean, that's a huge number. Mm, just just from that kind of thing. And you know, people. Mm. This is something in people's life for many different reasons. Like, I'm not here to condemn uh, the reasons why people um, choose to drink because I know a whole bunch of people who drink for a whole bunch of reasons. Mm. And some of it, I actually really, really understand where they're coming from. Um, I just think it's important that we can kind of navigate what the motivations are and, as you said, go, what is the possible long-term outcome mm. Mm. of these things? Is it going to be better for us as a whole? Is it going to be worse for us as a whole? And not just for us, but, yeah, for whether it's future generations or, you know, mm. however it goes. Yes. Um, I have another story here, which some of you guys may have heard of, which I found quite interesting. So Joe Biden has, um, in his administration, been asking Americans to report potentially radical family and friends. And... I find this quite an interesting thing because on one hand, it's really important if you see destructive, violent behavior, I think to bring awareness to that because, you know, that whole, um, you know, what's hidden in the darkness can't be healed. You know, you've got to bring it to light. At the same time, um, there is kind of this element where I think when you ask people to turn on each other, you can get nasty, even if it's not meant to be turning on each other. We kind of see how this plays out or if we have differences of opinions or if we've fallen out for some reason. Um, I'm not saying we're Nazi Germany, but there can be that um, flavour to it. You know, if you're just mm. like, oh, well, this person thinks different to me politically, um, you can go down this rabbit hole and not always like where you end up. Yes. It reminds me of what happened in communist China as well, you know, where where you'd have an apartment block, and similar to, to Nazi Germany, where, you know, you'd have neighbours who are actually spying on their yeah, well. um, their, their other neighbours. And, and certainly it, it creates an atmosphere of fear as well, mm. which because you, you don't know who's going to, you know, report you or, you know, where that, that might go. And I would see it much better to, to be really casting a vision of, of you know, what a safe yeah. and balanced society looks like rather than having these... Um, you know, people reporting on you and, you know, what you might say at parties and things like, like that. So yeah. yeah, and, you know, I think just with talking about radical behaviour, obviously there is some very extreme behaviour, but what does that mean? As you mm. said, like, give a picture of this is what 
healthy could be as opposed to you kind of interpret that for yourself and do what you Mm. will with it. Mm. Um, Anyway, we'll see how that progresses. We know that Jesus is coming back soon, so that is hopeful, but we also Mm. know the world is going to be in a bit of a state. Um, Anyway, God is good and he knows what's going on. Um, we are going to move on with the show. You are this morning with Minnie and Sven. It's been a while since we've both been here, so it's yes. fun to be back. And you are with The Morning Show on Faith FM. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88, right across Australia. Joining us on the phone this morning for a monthly update is Luke Ferrugia from Oz Table Talk. Luke, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bob. It's great to be here. And, of course, a quick reminder that uh, Oz Table Talk is a bunch of guys who like to sit around on a Saturday afternoon after the church service and discuss big issues happening in the world and decided to turn it into a podcast. And so now they do it in a studio and record it for us. Luke, what has been happening with Oz Table Talk since we last spoke? Well, it's, it's been a really interesting month. So uh, we've uh, actually released one of our episodes that has gone uh, a long way. Though a lot of people were very interested in the topic. So uh, it, the title of the episode was Sexually Bulimic Christianity. Okay. So that was that, that was definitely the most uh, popular of our episodes this month. But uh, the idea for the episode actually came from an article that was written by uh, Jay Stringer when he was he was commentating on uh, the situation last year with uh, Ravi Zacharias, and uh, he was sort of using that as a, a launching point to, to talk about some of the, the issues that that we see, like within how we view sexuality as Christians. So it was a very interesting um, article, and so we decided to turn that into a discussion. Yeah. All right, so just automatically, um, as soon as you ta- start talking about sex and so forth, I think that you've got everybody's attention. You've yep. certainly got uh, my attention. So um, let me just try and wrap my head around this for a moment. So yep. you've likened sexuality in Christianity to bulimia. Yeah, in a sense. So the sense. The, the basic yep, go, yeah, go, go, the, go. the basic idea the basic idea is because we have uh, like or at least a lot of Christianity has a culture in which talking about any kind of sexuality, positive or negative, is is taboo, and so therefore the, a lot of people don't talk about the issues, especially if they're if they're having issues with it, and you know be that like any kind of addiction, like pornography usage or uh, you know adultery or like any any sort of of those. Uh, topics or sexual behaviors, uh, they don't get talked about. And so if people are struggling with those things, they typically don't get the help. And so the, the article that, that we were talking about sort of that led down this, this uh, likening of it to bulimia is how uh, oftentimes if people are Christians and they are struggling with their sexuality in some way, you know, that could be whatever way it is, they typically go in a in a bulimic cycle where they, they will go deeply into it, whatever it, whatever it is, and then they feel the need to somehow uh, work off the sin, you know, whether what through whatever means that may be. The example that was used in the article actually was, for example, if a pastor may struggle with a pornography addiction, he may be having a big stressful week and is preparing his message and then succumbs to that temptation like the night before he preaches and then that will come out in his preaching in a few ways. You know, that that could come out as uh, either preaching uh, strongly against um, sexual sins. So, you know, that would be, you know, essentially denial on his side or trying to project it else, the, the blame or the shame elsewhere. Or it could come out in uh, like him 
being, you know, focusing on the gospel for, for broken, you know, uh, for broken people, whereas God is saving them, where, you know, he's uh, appreciating that. So it's just sort of like all the different expressions of it, but ultimately he's not addressing the problem, right? He might be preaching about it, but we need to fix the heart problems, not just try to... Um, fix it at a, at a high level if that makes sense and if you're going to follow the bulimia um, example then you would probably have uh, binge versus starvation binge starvation kind of cycle yes. taking place as well yes yes absolutely so you know there's that purge the, the, like, that's built into the, the cycle right so uh, and it's not healthy because then we seesaw between the extremes and ultimately keeping it in the dark it never gets resolved and so yeah, we were talking about how important it is to have uh, not only a healthy view of sexuality, but like you know, not having it as that taboo, but like you know having appropriate forums for it to be discussed in ways that are healthy, so people can get help when they need it, and to get rid of the shame that's attached to it, because we often think of it as being a super sin in some way, but ultimately sexual sins aren't super sins; they're just other sins. And so we shouldn't feel more shame around that than we do around pride or lying or any of the other things that we speak about freely. And so if we bring it out of the shadows, then we can deal with it more effectively. Yeah, and I guess in some ways, you know, there's a lot more fear involved with, say, a porn addiction because... A lot of what is said in Christianity is that, you know, being addicted to porn is the same as having an adulterous affair. Yeah. Therefore, you're going to have guys who are never going to speak about their porn addiction because they were like, well, that gives my wife the, the, the right and the reason to divorce me. They don't want to have a divorce, they, you know. Mm. Um, and so then they just clam up all the more. Yeah. Exactly right. And I think that something that we're not talking about, and it depends, I guess it, it could be a generational thing, but I, I would go so far as to say anybody that is, let's say, in the sub-40 age category, any like millennial or younger, um, I, I think it's fairly safe to say that it's near universal exposure because of the internet, you know, there is, I don't think that there is any such thing as large groups of people who have never had exposure in our culture or in our society. So I think that we tend to not talk about it on the, the thinking that we're the only ones when ultimately it's not only, we're not only a minority, that the people that have been affected by it are probably now the majority, or I'd say definitely the majority. Well, it's probably a little bit like when I was a teenager and they said, you know, there, there are two, two, two kinds of boys. There are those who admit to um, practicing masturbation and those who lie. Yeah. It would be the same with pornography with the 14 under, under age group. There are those who have been impacted by it and those who lie. Yes, yes, 100%. 100%, I agree with that statement, yeah. And yet we never really hear a word said about it in our churches. No. If you take somebody like, say, Ravi Zacharias, who, you know, in my opinion, and who knows, because you can never mm. read a person's heart, but in my opinion, starts off in a great place and ends up in a bad place, there's a journey yeah. there that we don't know and we don't understand and we don't see, a very yeah. downhill journey. And would that story have been different if this had been a subject that we could talk about and mm. if it was a subject where help was provided? Yes, 
Yeah, that's, uh, I think this is something that, that that very question, I think, is I think is very telling because I think as a, as a society, like within Christianity, and I'm sure the broader as well, but as a society, I think if we did address it better, I think we would see far less of these you know, high-profile people who have been very effective for, for ministering to others and doing these great things and setting up these ministries. I think we would see far less of the, the scandals that we've seen if we addressed the issues better before they became issues. Yes, yes. Okay, so this is something that needs to come out of the closet, needs to come into the open, and uh, as Christians, and needs to be dealt with in an, in, in, an, in an open and an honest way, and in a way that, I guess, yeah, protects. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a challenging one. It's a, it's a very challenging one, and I do know a number of ministers who are doing significant work in this area. But to be honest. Even myself in ministry, this is not something that I have really ever tackled. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's thorny, right? It, it, and there's so many things that could be done, all good things to do, but because th- this particular topic is so thorny, it's easy to just do the other things, right? Because there's so much other other stuff that's good that you can do, so you're not doing anything wrong by tackling different things, but it's just that this then gets neglected because everyone avoids it. So anyway, that was the that was the idea. That was the, the reason that we that we did decide to go for that because it is such a, a widespread issue that has such little exposure. Yes, indeed. All right. So, I, I this is definitely one that I would recommend everybody go and have a listen to. Uh, would love to hear some of the conclusions that you come to there. Um, I mean, is this something that we need to be having sermons on in church? Yeah. It's a great question. I mean, one of the things that we talk about in the episode is I think one of the challenges is we're afraid by talking about it openly that we're going to, uh, you know, expose children or young people that haven't yet been exposed to it, like that, that very small percentage. You know, are we doing them a disservice by sharing it openly? And yeah, when we talk that, about people that have not yet... We need. Yeah, yeah. that's the balance we need to figure out. When we talk about people who have not yet been exposed to pornography, we're talking about, you know, kids under the age of about eight yeah, exactly, exactly. That's, that's the very sad reality of the world in which we live. Um, and if you think differently from that, and if you have children and you think differently from that uh, in relationship to your children, you are living in a dreamland. Yeah, yep. Really glad you guys tackled this one. This is a tough subject, and I'm glad that somebody is out there speaking up on it and having something to say about it. What else have you been talking about this month? So another one of the big ones this month uh, was uh, an audience request. Some, someone asked, uh, well, actually, I shouldn't say an audience request. One of the guys that is uh, not a, regularly a part of the table, but he's a friend of ours, and, and he said, hey, I would love to hear you guys talk about euthanasia because I have, he, he works in, um, in support work. Like, he's a case manager for, uh, and he speaks to a lot of elderly people. And he said the volume of elderly people that I speak to who say that they would so love euthanasia to be legal um, he said it's been triggering him thinking and he wanted to talk about it. And I said, well, come to the table and let's have that discussion. And so we had that discussion. You know, euthanasia, from a biblical perspective, is it a merciful act or is it a sinful one? And so that was a, that was a pretty big one as well. Wow. You did, you guys didn't hold back this month. <laughs> no, it was, like, it was a big month. It was. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so euthanasia is something that I've spoken about a fair bit here on Faith FM from time to time because obviously mm. we've been covering... You know, the stories coming out of Victoria, Tasmania, South Australia, etc., yeah. uh, mm. where it is being legalised. 
and you know also to look at it it's an interesting one to look at historically so to go back to the first countries that legalized it like say the netherlands and so forth and to see you know where euthanasia has gone from you know where it began until where it is now i'm curious to know whether you guys agreed with my positions on this or not well, I'm actually very curious to hear yours, but the, like, the general track that the conversation landed, like, the, the direction that we went with it was that, uh, ultimately the, um, you know, limiting suffering is, you know, that is a, a good thing to do. So we're not, we're not arguing with that fact. And ultimately in our structure already, like, even if, uh, euthanasia hasn't, hadn't been legalized, at least here in Queensland, uh, up until the point that I think it is being in the process of, of coming in now, but, um, up until that point, it was still legal to, you know, continue the administering of pain medication to the point where it would eventually take the person's life, right, to keep them comfortable, that sort of palliative care. So in a sense, there is a degree to which that kind of thing could be labelled euthanasia. But we, we were really focusing our discussion on the conscious decision of the individual, no, I'm, I'm done with this, life's too bad, I'm, I'm checking out now. And uh, the, the place that I guess we ended up with that was that as long as it was uh, in the in the hands of the individual, and the individual was genuinely at the end of their life, you know, had zero quality of life that, to look forward to, and uh, a very painful death process. We we couldn't find any real precedence in scripture or any good reason to deny them that if the person themselves and the the family around them were prepared and had made that decision themselves. But at the same time, we also uh, expressed concern at the. On the other side of that, wherever you put this kind of power in the hands of humanity, the humanity has the potential to use it for bad things and to use it for the wrong things. And so there is that uh, cautionary tale on the other end of it that we need to be careful about who has this this power and also what checks and, and balances are in place to make sure that the power is never abused. Most so I'm curious from... <laughs> I'm curious from your perspective because, I mean, the, the, well, before, I, before I ask you that... We did talk about like the, the sanctity of life and and how do we how do we um, look at that from the perspective because the, of the opposing argument as far as I understand it is that God is the one that, that gives us the gives us life and ultimately we shouldn't try to end it prematurely you know and the and while I understand the, the value of that um, the example was used because a, a, a friend of one of the guys at the table um, passed away from cancer just a few weeks ago and, and Matt was present for it. He, he, he was there and he talked about how the like the pain and the suffering that he went through in those last few days could have been mitigated by something like this and, and how much damage that did psychologically to the family and all of that. And so the, the question then would be, you know, if he was having, if that last few days was just cut short, what good would that have done or is there a moral objection that would override that? So, yeah, I'm curious, Lyle, where, where, where did you land on this <laughs> We might have had some disagreements on this one. So this mm. is something that I've looked into, uh, you know, and, and out of the big moral issues that our world is facing right now, we have mm. obviously abortion, euthanasia, yes. same-sex mm. marriage, uh, gender mm. ideology issues. Euthanasia is the one that I have the most emotional sympathy for because mm. obviously growing up in the bush, you know, the, 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 you know, on a farm and so forth, the question is do we treat our animals better than we treat our elderly um, yes. because we don't hesitate to euthanize animals when they are suffering and in pain and we can't do anything for them but mm. there is also and this is where the butt comes in uh, mm. a difference between an animal and a human being who is a blood-bought child of God and mm. we um, the, the, the 
euthanasia removes the opportunity for God to be able to perform a miracle. That's the first. Mm-hmm. And miracles are real, and we do see them happen from time to time. And we know mm-hmm. that God loves us as individuals more than he loves more than we love the, you know, God, God loves the person who is suffering more than we love the person who is suffering. And we're better off mm-hmm. to leave them in the hands of God than in the hands of a human. Because as you say, we've seen mm-hmm. what human beings have done. Um, yeah. so that's my first point. My second point is that, um, euthanasia in and of itself places the elderly under a tremendous amount of pressure. So, you know, I'm the kind of, I, I, I have the kind of parents who will, um, go to any length not to put, their children out. So, you know, they'll come to visit yeah. and they'll hire a car. I'm like, don't hire a car. We'll transport you. Like, oh, we don't want you to be put out. You know, anyway, they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll leave and they'll leave money on the bed, you know, at the end of the visit. Mm-hmm. Like, don't leave money on the bed. Like, no, no, we don't want to put you out. And yeah. just by euthanasia existing, mm. the elderly are now under pressure to um, not put their family out, not put their mm. family through pain and suffering but mm. to avail themselves of that opportunity. And that's a pressure I don't think any elderly should be under. Mm. Finally, of course, there is the slippery slope. We have the most conservative euthanasia laws anywhere in the world. They are almost as conservative as the ones that the Netherlands passed, Netherlands passed 20 years ago. And, of course, now mm. they have involuntary euthanasia of the mentally ill and um, euthanasia of the non Terminally ill, um, now seen as being uh, an appropriate treatment for depression in some cases. And really? So, I, did, I did not know that. Yes. Mm. And so when I put all that together, yeah, I'm a no vote on this one. Yeah. No, look, I, I can I can appreciate that, definitely. Because I, I, I got to admit, for me personally, uh, whilst I, I, I shared my perspective before... Um, I'm still on the on the razor's edge, so to speak. Like I am in the middle of the fence, and and those things that you expressed just then, I like. They are the very reasons that I'm still very uncomfortable with the idea. So you know, I really appreciate you sharing that. Well, thank you. And I didn't know that about the um, the, the previous history in Netherlands, etc. So that's very interesting. Yeah, it, it is. It, it's, it's it's you know, you did bring up the history up the issue of human nature and where human nature tends to go. Well, that's where yeah. it tends to go. And you know, they're kind of yeah. catching up to uh, uh, Adolf Hitler's Nazi Germany. Um, um, the first mm. European country to do so. But anyway, um, we have probably waffled on about that a little bit too much. Um, this is this yep. is all about your show, not my show. <laughs> <laughs> very quickly, very quickly, mm. in one minute, can you summarise the other subjects that you covered? Sure. Okay, so, so there's two, and the other two were very simple. One, we did what we call a No Agenda episode on Matthew 24. So No Agenda episodes are when we come to the episode without an agenda, like it sounds, and we just study the passage together and discuss the, the ramifications of what we find there. So that was just a, a, a nice, enjoyable Bible study that we had on Matthew chapter 24, and we only got through the first part of it because, of course, a very long thing. Um, and the other one that we hit was, can you really fake it till you make it, or is that a recipe for spiritual disaster? So we were just talking about how do we have that, that confidence or does that confidence come in our spiritual walk by just acting acting out in faith and saying, okay, no, I am this kind of person and so I'm going to live this way. And, and so can we fake it till we make it as far as being a Christian goes? Fantastic stuff. Uh, I'm sure these were really good discussions. Luke Ferugia, thank you so much for joining us here on the Faith FM Breakfast Show. Very quickly, where do we go to hear all these amazing discussions that you guys have been having? You can find it on any podcast app or you can find everything on the website, oztabletalk.com.au. oztabletalk.com.au. There you go. We're going to be back right after this song, uh, 8 o'clock news. We're going to be back with Encounter with God. You're listening to Faith FM.